0: we praise you and we thank you for this grand plan of sending your son to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be united with you in an intimate relationship of love. You are so wonderful. We don't deserve you, but we are very, very grateful. So now we ask that you would teach us, especially about these last days that Jesus experienced as he's going to the cross. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you turn to Mark chapter 14, we're gonna look at verses 27 through 52, page 579 in the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through the gospel of Mark verse by verse, and we're at this section where we see Jesus suffers alone. Now, this time of year is called by some uh, the Lenten year, or Lenten season, the the season of Lent. Have you heard of that? Okay. Uh, I don't particularly uh, like, I'm not really big on religious rituals, especially when they're not based on Scripture. So I want to give you a little history of Lent. Lent began... During the Middle Ages, when the church began to believe falsely that God somehow was happy when his people were suffering. So it got that he actually enjoyed it when we suffered or, and especially caused suffering on ourselves. And so they started this Lent season where you would take a month or so up until Easter and you would pray cause or inflict suffering upon yourself specifically you would fast from meat the whole time back originally it was the whole month no meat and uh now it's just no meat on Fridays right and who doesn't like fish fries i mean fish fries are awesome that's not fasting <laughs> okay by the way little hint fish is meat anyway so so they they went the whole month and no sex either and they would do other things to punish themselves. So they believed that if the people did this, that somehow made God happy and that things would go well. But in order to get the people to do this, the Pope came up with his idea of giving them a party beforehand, what we call Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday. So they'd have this party where they'd sin all they wanted and then go to the time of beating yourself. And that's just crazy if you ask me, okay? Now, if it reminds us of what Jesus went through in his suffering, I suppose that part is good and that's what we're gonna see in our passage here. Uh, these next scriptures over the next uh, few weeks uh, are somber and are supposed to be read with a sad heart. Uh, they speak of Jesus' anguish that he suffered alone, being abandoned by all, including the Father. And as we walk through uh, these next few pages, let's tread with an attitude that seeks to understand the sadness Jesus experienced for us. We are going to have Good Friday, so to speak, for the next few weeks, but just remember, Sunday's coming, and the resurrection is coming, and please, remember, God does not take pleasure in our suffering. That is not the case. Jesus suffered in our behalf. That's what we want to see. So let's walk through this. The first section, we see in verses 27 through 31 where Jesus predicts he will be abandoned and left alone. Let's read them. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same things. So here Jesus predicts he will be abandoned and left alone. He tells the truth, but he offers hope. So he's speaking of how when you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter, but then he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you. So he brings the resurrection in. So we see this, the truth, the sadness, but the hope that is offered because Jesus is the great shepherd. We see in John chapter 10, he is called the good shepherd. And we see in Hebrews, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, Where he is called the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the one that's being stricken here. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But he is this great shepherd of the sheep who takes care of the sheep, leads the sheep, feeds the sheep, and equips the sheep. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, there's the resurrection the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the great shepherd of the sheep who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead and he's the one who equips us. I want you to turn back though and look at verse five of this same chapter. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Yes, the disciples are about to abandon Jesus, but Jesus, as the great shepherd has promised us, he will never abandon us. That's his promise to his kids. I will never leave you or abandon you. He is the great shepherd, and he will be resurrected. So when we see here, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So the shepherd is about to be stricken. He's gonna be, that's speaking of the crucifixion, okay? But then he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. We see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's mentioning it here. He's mentioned it a few times already. If you look through the New Testament, you see the resurrection of Jesus over and over and over. In the book of Acts, that's how they witnessed to people. They always brought up the resurrection. Jesus died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and then he rose from the dead. And there's historical evidence for it. This really happened. Bunch of people actually saw him after he was risen from the dead. That's how they preached. And guess what? That's how we should preach. When we talk to people about Jesus, bring up the resurrection. He rose from the dead. The greatest miracle of all, the resurrection, it's a slam dunk. This is it. That's the proof. So if he rose from the dead, it must be real. And if he rose from the dead, then everything he said must be true. You know what? I'm going to follow that guy. (laughs) Even if... He says stuff that I might not like and he says the Bible is God's word so I'm gonna believe that. I'm following Jesus. He rose from the dead and there's tremendous evidence. I wish we could spend a bunch of time looking at this. I'll just mention one. You know the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul, he, before he got saved, he was persecuting the church. In fact, He studied under Gamaliel, who was, according to uh, Jewish people, the premier rabbi of the first century. So he has this up-and-coming career in his life. He's persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden, he becomes a Christian and actually ends up dying for his faith. What could possibly cause somebody who's got this great career persecuting the church for his zealousness for Judaism and then all of a sudden change. What could possibly have changed him? He saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. That's what changed him. The, there's no other explanation for how he, why he would change and be willing to die except for the fact that just like he said, he saw Jesus alive. He did. He rose from the dead. Okay, so We see the resurrection here. That's the hope, and he's already bringing it up. But he's got to go through a lot, Jesus does, before that takes place. So back to our passage, we see, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, no, if everyone else denies you, I'm not going to deny you. We see that Peter falsely boasts of his faithfulness. Because we know that shortly thereafter, he does deny Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. Falsely boasts of his faithfulness, and this added to Jesus' sadness, didn't it? He's doing this. He's going to this alone because his, his disciples are about to leave and he knows it's gonna happen. And the boasting, When he knows, no, it's not true, adds to the sadness of Jesus. So Jesus predicts he will be abandoned and left alone. Then in the next section, we see that Jesus agonizes in the garden alone. Let's look at verses 32 through 42. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. But what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Jesus agonizes in the garden alone. This is the garden of Gethsemane, uh, which is mostly olive trees. Uh, When we go to Israel, we always go to the garden of Gethsemane. It's a beautiful place. Now they actually have a few flowers around as well in the garden. Those weren't there originally. (laughs) It was just Olive trees, but here Jesus goes. He brings his three closest disciples with him, and then he goes a little ways away and begins to pray. And that's when they fall asleep, but yet, and he has this moment of grief. Now, in this passage, especially, I want you to focus on Jesus. We're seeking to understand the best we can what he went through see fixing our eyes on Jesus seeing him as clearly as we can actually helps us get through difficult times that we might have to face and so i want you to fix your eyes on Jesus in fact look at hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2a i promise we'll get to 2b a little bit later but first we want to see this in wonderful reminder hebrews chapter Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the witnesses to faith that he just spoke of in chapter 11, let us lay aside every hindrance, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And you're probably asking, how? How can I run that race, that endurance? is tough. Verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. The NIV says, fix your eyes on on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's how we gain the strength to be able to endure, to be able to run the race without getting entangled and ensnared by the things that are seeking to trap us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So as we look at this passage, the the prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, I want you to notice his grief over the cup. He's already said in verse 34, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. And the other gospels that reflect on this, they say he sweat great drops like blood. So we see the grief and then his prayer to God that if possible, take this cup away from me. What was the cup that he's referring to? Now, it did clearly refer to his death on the cross, to the incredible anguishing pain that he went through, the physical pain, but much more than that. It referred to the spiritual pain he experienced when the father turned his back on him, when the father abandoned him because he had taken on the sins of the whole world upon himself and the father poured out his wrath upon Jesus In our place, Jesus suffered on the cross to pay the penalty we were supposed to pay for our sins. And he's beginning to experience that anguish even now. But the worst of it all was to experience the abandonment of the Father when when he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he's beginning, that's the, the depth of the burden that he has. Notice his grief. Scholars actually argue if God could have forgiven us in a different way. And uh, Augustine and Aquinas, they both said, yeah, he could have done anything. He could have just waved his hand and we would have been forgiven. I absolutely disagree. I believe the Bible teaches that there's no other way for God to be a just and holy God and a loving God. He had to punish sin. And so either we experience the punishment ourselves, or the substitution of Jesus Christ taking our punishment in our behalf. This was the only way Anselm, I believe, correctly said in his great book, Cur Deus Homo. Okay, so that's Latin for why did God become a man? Why did God, the second person of the Trinity, take on human flesh and become a human? Because it was the only way God could remain just and holy and also loving and bring forgiveness for us. So he was willing to go through this. And notice, Jesus surrenders his will to the Father. He says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on this, speaks of this, he says, Gethsemane is the prelude to Calvary. Before he could surrender his body to be beaten and crucified on the cross, he must first surrender his will to his heavenly father in the garden. In the first garden, the garden of Eden, Adam said to the father, not your will, but mine be done. And all of creation was plunged into sin. In this second garden, the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the second Adam says, not my will but yours be done. And the redemption and salvation of all creation begins. Eden brought death, Gethsemane brings new life. He surrenders to his will. We see this great prayer, not my will but yours be done. He's teaching us how to pray. I've heard people actually say that you shouldn't pray like this. That you shouldn't pray if it be your will, O God. Yet here we see Jesus praying this. If the words of Jesus say one thing and your theology says another, I say change your theology. Because he says very specific this is how he prayed. Thy will be done. Look at first John chapter 5. We see a teaching from, from John on this very same subject. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, He hears us, and if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Notice this passage sounds a lot like the other passages where it says, if you ask, he will give. If you seek, he will find. And we see many times in the Bible where it says to us, knock, ask, and the Lord will give it to you. But all of those should be understood in line with this passage here as well, where it says, if it's according to his will. Because God is God. He does know best. And in this broken world, we don't get all our prayers answered. Not the way we might want them to be answered, at least. And so, of course, we want His will. He is the good God, He is the all powerful one. Of course, we want His will. Now, you don't have to add that line to every prayer. You know, I pray this if it be your will, okay? You know, it's the matter of the heart that we're praying. Of course, I want your will, oh God. And I would say that sometimes that prayer could be a prayer of unbelief. If our prayer is something like this, Lord, please heal so-and-so, if it be your will, and I don't think it is. You know, okay, that's, that's moving in the area of unbelief. But to pray, oh Lord, You can do this. And if it be your will, I ask that you do it. Please, come, God. And in many instances, he does. And we see his miracles. We see great things take place. And at other times, we suffer. And we don't see the answers. You see, American religion tries to hold on to Jesus but keep its own will at the center no trials or tribulation for the saints, no illness or poverty for, for king's kids. We get to have everything now, forgetting that the king suffered and promised us suffering. So how do we get through how do we get through the suffering if our prayers don't seem to be answered? well let's go back to that Hebrews chapter 12 passage verse chapter two verse. Or Hebrews 12, verse 2b. It says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Consider him so that we don't grow weary and give up, so that as we're being oppressed with the difficulties of life, we don't come to this place where we have to give up. He says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. But look at what it says there. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross the joy that lay before him. So he wasn't thinking about the cross as he's experiencing the pain. He's thinking about the result, about what's gonna happen at the end because of the cross. He's thinking about how the saints, people, their sins are gonna be able to be forgiven because of his sacrifice. He's thinking about how people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language are going to put their trust in Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. And they're going to be saved, which was God's original plan from the very beginning to have a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and, and language drawn together and receiving forgiveness and entering into this incredible relationship we can have with God. So he's saying he endured the cross by looking to the future. So we don't look at the now. We look at the future. And for us, especially, the second coming. When Jesus comes back, that's when all evil's wiped out. When Jesus comes back, then, whoo! <laughs> oh, man, is it gonna be good. Now, so we're, we're thinking of this. We have this future focus. Because the kingdom of God is both now now and not yet. Let me unpack that. When Jesus came, he's the king. He brought the kingdom. He healed the sick, etc. right? So he's the king. He brought the kingdom, but then he left. But he did pour out his Holy Spirit, and so we have the Holy Spirit, but yet Jesus isn't here. So there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is now, but it's not fully here. We, we experience the kingdom in part. Sometimes we see healing. Sometimes we suffer. So it's now, but it's not yet. It's not fully here until the king comes back. When the king comes back, that's when everything is gonna be awesome or groovy. Bring back my... That was actually before my time, by the way. Yeah, groovy was like right before me. My sister, she used to say it, but that, Anyway, okay. <laughs> so, so now now I don't want to make the mistake on either side of the equation. You see, because some churches they emphasize the kingdom of God is now and forget that it's not yet. And so they emphasize, yeah, if you have enough faith, you know, great things and God doesn't want you to suffer, and incredible things can always happen, da-da-da-da-da. But in that if somebody doesn't get healed and somebody has to go through difficulties, there's no, uh, they're they're saddened. They don't receive the comfort that they could receive by being future focused. And so they don't have a good theology of suffering. But on the opposite side, those who emphasize the kingdom of God as future only, they miss out they miss out on what God does want to do even in our lifetime, including, I believe, signs and wonders. In fact, look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, I think it speaks of the church in the book of Acts, but I also think it's speaking for the church today. Acts chapter 14, just one of many examples we could look at as far as, that idea of the kingdom of God being now and here in part, look at what it says. It says, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they're getting persecuted here. So how do they respond to the persecution? Verse 3. So they stayed there a long time. And spoke boldly for the Lord. That's awesome, right? Getting persecuted, what do you do? Hey, let's hang out. <laughs> let's keep speaking the word boldly. Who testified to the message of his grace, So the Lord testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. So he testified, it says here, that God sometimes testifies to the message of the gospel with signs and wonders, with incredible miracles at at times. And so I've asked Mitch, Mitch is gonna come up, and he's gonna share a testimony of something that happened to his two brothers, okay? And uh, this is a great testimony of signs and wonders of what God can do even today, okay? There you go,
1: thanks Larry, good morning harvest. So as Larry just mentioned, I do have two brothers, an older brother, Greg, and a younger brother, Charlie. Charlie's a retired cop. Greg's also retired, he's been on disability for 10 years. And we do share things in common as brothers. We do have the same father. And all three of us have the same pointed left ear, the old Spock ear, so we know we are brothers. (laughs) And we also uh, have the same back that our father had, a bad back. We have that in common, or at least we had it in common. Now only one of the three still have it in common. But that's okay, all right? Some of you might remember two or three years ago when Jim Rao got up from his seat, came over and dragged me up front here. He saw something in my face. He saw pain, and he came up to ask Larry to pray for him, and I was he dragged me up because I didn't want to go, and I didn't want to. It wasn't because I didn't want to be healed. I knew God could heal. I just didn't want to interrupt Larry in the middle of the sermon. Okay, <laughs> I didn't want to be that spectacle. But he came up here, and um, Kevin and Jim and Dan and Elizabeth. I remember them behind me, and I could feel their hands, and and I, I knew it could happen. You know, I believe it could happen. Didn't know if it would, and it didn't that day. It did not happen that day. But I had tears rolling down my eyes. And those tears were from a song that I recalled, the song by Mercy Me. I think some of you have heard of them. The lead singer, Bart Millard, wrote the song because his son had type 2 diabetes when he was a youngster, and he prayed that uh, he could heal his son. So the song went like this, I know you're able, I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. And that's the song I was thinking of, because I said, even if you don't, you're a great guy. So four weeks ago, my younger brother, Charlie, and I were having a conversation on the phone. We talk a lot. He's a fellow believer, and I like talking to believers, okay? And Greg had fallen away from the Lord 40-some years ago. And Sheldon Charlie said, uh, did you hear about Greg? I said, hear what? He said, he was healed. I said, his back? He goes, Yeah. I said, how can that be? I said, Craig's not a Christian. He doesn't believe, and I know you have to have faith to be healed. I mean, we think of the story in Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke, the story of the woman who was healed, right? She reached out and touched Jesus' cloak behind Jesus. Jesus turned around, and actually, he healed her. He said, your faith, daughter, your faith has healed you. Okay, so I believe you have to have faith. I believe you have to be a believer to be healed. And... Um, I was shocked. I said, "Well, how could that happen?" He goes, "Well, didn't you know?" I said, "Haven't you talked to Greg in a couple weeks or a couple months?" I said, "No." He said, "About three or four months ago, he became a believer again." <laughs> that that hit me, okay. And then he said, "And uh, three, four weeks ago, he was healed, and his healing was just like mine." So I have to back up a little bit because ten years ago, Charlie was healed; his back was healed, as a cop. Often, he couldn't go to work for a week or 10 days because his back was so bad, you know, crawling on the floor. You've been there, Larry, right? Crawling on the floor, and then a few days later, he can actually get up and move around with crutches. So he said, I'm stinking, I need a bath. So he crutches himself into the bathroom, takes five minutes to get his legs over the tub, turns the water on, and bam, gets hit by a nasty back spasm. He grabs on the shower curtain because he's falling. He's holding on, and it's like a spear in your back, okay? He's crying out in pain, and he cried out, Lord, please take it away. And he was not healed. But they didn't remember it as a kid. He was taught to pray in Jesus' name when you talk to the Father. And he said it again. He said, Lord, Father, in Jesus' name, please take it away. And he's screaming. And at that very moment, bzz, there was a vibration in the middle of his back. And he could hear it. It's like a, your cell phone. When it goes on vibrate, you can actually hear it, feel it. And it stayed there for two seconds in the middle of his back, healing one part of his back. And then it went down, stopped, and stayed in another spot for a couple more seconds and traveled all the way down his back, six, seven seconds long. That's all it took. The pain was gone. He let go of the shower curtain. He knew he was healed. He got right out of that tub, a lot easier when he got into it, and started to dance and praise God. Can you imagine standing there naked? dancing? Maybe you don't want to imagine that, but nonetheless, he was so fired up, okay? And then he said, okay, so when I talked to Greg, Greg called me, he said, Charlie, it happened to me. He said, what happened? The same thing that happened to you. It didn't happen when he prayed. Greg, again, like I said, he just came back to Jesus about four months ago, and he's been praying, and he got the boldness to actually pray for his own healing. He wasn't healed like Charlie was when he prayed, but Several days later, he was standing in the kitchen, leaning on the kitchen counter because of the agonizing back pain, and all of a sudden, bzz, it came to him, that vibration, the buzzing. He said, I could hear it just like Charlie did. He said it only lasted three seconds. I looked up and I said, God, did you just heal me? And he knew he was healed. God gave him the sign, that feeling and the sound, so that Greg would know for sure it was God who did the healing. Right, and he did a couple of twists no pain he went outside to shovel snow for the first time in 22 years <laughs> so I really uh, have been on fire telling all the people I know the story and so often all I hear is crickets when I tell the story and that tells you what, they don't believe it so I was really fired up to tell you guys this morning because I know the people at Harvest believe it and give me a shout out for our great God alright <laughs>
0: Yeah. Isn't that cool? Oops, I didn't turn it off. God can and does these kinds of things, but he doesn't heal everybody. Now, we're still praying and asking God to heal Mitch, okay? But that's what we see here, the now and not yet of the kingdom. As we're walking through these pages with Jesus, what he's going through, the suffering The Father did say no to that prayer, take this cup away from me, because it was the only way that our sins could be forgiven. And so we see this this now and not yet. So notice Jesus surrenders his will to the Father. And notice his mild rebuke of the disciples In verse 38, it says, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Ah. Tragically, they fall asleep a couple different times, and, and you can feel this. It, our actions bring sadness to Jesus, don't they? When we fail him when we fall down. It brings sadness to, the, to, to Jesus. But Jesus gives him a word of encouragement that we can all learn, because all of us fall, don't we? Here's the word of encouragement. Prayer strengthens the spirit. Verse 38, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak to pray. Look at Second Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through ten. Here we see the situation that we all live in in these bodies. It says in second Corinthians four verse seven, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Skip down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, do you see what Paul called that? If you remember Paul, he was... Beaten with rods three times, he was stoned and left for dead. He was all kinds of terrible shipwrecked. All these things he calls them momentary and light afflictions. Okay, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The future focus, so we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we see this situation here that we are weak. In fact, Romans 7, 14 through 25, we can relate to that, where we fall into sin. We have this weakness. We have this difficulty. But Romans 8 gives us the solution. It talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit helps us in our Weakness. So Romans 8 says the solution is the Holy Spirit. Our passage here in Mark says we appropriate the strength from the Holy Spirit through prayer. Prayer. That's how we gain the strength from the Holy Spirit. So how is your prayer life? I suggest you ramp it up. Things could get worse very soon. It is why we gathered together last night with this Equality Act, passed by the House, going to the Senate right now. Obviously, who doesn't want equality? But it's clearly an attack on the church, what we're seeing in this bill. And it could make it illegal to preach all of the word of God so we see this, and so we need to pray. In fact, when we got together, I'll tell you what, it was incredible. Last night, we had a bunch of people here, and we sought the Lord. It was just a symphony of prayer that was amazing. And I believe God could do this, He could stop the bill, He could even change course, where if you, uh, you know, with a revival, we could. Get our country back towards the godly things even. That could happen, but it might not. No matter what, we're gonna be faithful, but boy, we have to become a people of prayer. That's what we're seeing here. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then it finishes, verses 43 through 52. Jesus is arrested and forsaken. He says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal, the one I kiss, he said, he's the one, arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him, One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple. You didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Jesus is arrested and forsaken, and he's betrayed by a kiss. How painful to Christ's soul was that kiss. Remember, Jesus loved Judas. And then Peter, first he acts foolishly, cuts off the ear of one of the guards, and and, and then abandons Jesus, takes off denies him. Later we'll see he denies him three times, just like Jesus said he would. Uh, we see the beginning of the illegality of the arrest and trial. We'll talk about that more later as we get into the trial and all the illegal actions of this trial. But the disciples abandon him. They all left him. Even this unnamed young man who leaves naked. I guess the first streaker. Actually, most scholars believe that this is Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. This is his signature, so to speak. Let me read from Achan again. He says, Mark 14, verses 50 through 52, records the sad defection of the disciples, all of them, Those who had a short time earlier boasted that they would die for him now are nowhere to be found. An anonymous young man was nearly captured but was able to escape. However, his linen cloth was captured and so he ran away naked. Church tradition says the young man was Mark, the author of our second gospel. So again, as it was in the Garden of Eden, our nakedness is exposed as we desert the God who loves us and has graced us so abundantly with his kindness and good gifts. And Jesus He is arrested and he is forsaken. He's all alone to face the wrath of men and the wrath of God. He will receive all that we deserve that we might receive all that he deserves. The great exchange has begun. Mark abandons him here. Later on, we see in the book of Acts on the first missionary journey with Paul, Mark was tagging along and he abandons him there too. And yet, God forgave him again and again and again because Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. He used him to that extent even though he had fallen so many times. Isn't that good news for us sinners? As we enter into this season before Easter, Contemplate all that Jesus went through for us. Learn the lessons of prayer and future focus. That's how we can gain the strength. Prayer and future focus. Be open to signs and wonders and suffering. I believe it's all coming.